This spoiler-filled podcast is recorded live, unscripted, and intended for those over 18. Now prepare your ears for the audio stimulation they've been waiting for all day as we step into the spoiler. And here we are on March 2nd. 2016 another spoiler room and it's another big 4-0 special yes today uh with the academy awards just have happened i figured what more appropriate film to talk about than the uh film that was nominated not one but nominated for four academy awards robert de niro's classic Taxi Driver, and in the crew tonight to help me talk about this interesting, dark film, we have first off Mr. Cole Meredith with us. Hello, Cole. Hello, Mark. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, glad you could be here, and uh, next to him, it is the BFD, the one, the only, Mr. Glenn Bittner. Hello, Glenn. How are you? Are you talking to me? <laughs> oh, brother. <laughs> yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm glad someone dropped the line. <laughs> and next to him is the spoiler room regular, the man himself, Mr. Moviocrity. We have Mr. Scotty D. Scott Davis, hello, sir. How are you? Listen, you fuckers, you puss. Oh, wait, maybe I shouldn't drop that line. <laughs> wow. Maybe I shouldn't drop a line for this movie. I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> That's good to hear. And uh, tonight, yes, we are talking about the Martin Scorsese classic, uh, Taxi Driver, which for those few of you out there who may not know, according to IMDb, the summary reads like this. A mentally unstable Vietnam War veteran works as a nighttime taxi driver in New York City. New York City! And where... <laughs> where the perceived uh, decadence and sleaze feeds his urge for violent action, attempting to save a pre-adolescent prostitute in the process. Well, he doesn't exactly set out initially to do that. He's got something more uh, dark in mind, which also makes this film appropriate for this uh, time of year. We're in a political season. And uh, Cole, <laughs> Mr. Uh, Bickle, what do you think of Mr. Robert De Niro's uh, character here? Uh, we really have no heroes in this film, do we? No, no, man. Um, there aren't any. Um, and it's, it's funny. I think a lot of people see him as, as a hero. I mean, I, I know a lot of people do. You just get that impression when you read about this movie a lot. You see a lot of people see him as this, this gentleman who, uh, is sort of driven unstable by society, which is not the case. I was actually surprised at how disturbed he is from the get go watching this again. I hadn't seen it in a long time. And, um, just a lot of things that that are automatically off about him, like uh, the fact that he watches pornography, but yet uh, sex seems to disgust him, you know. And the obvious scene where he takes his date to watch pornography, which is <laughs> because uh, that's where you want to go for your that's where you want to go for your first date, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just so strange and. I guess the, the movie is so complex that, you know, you, you can't begin to, to cover it all by summarizing it. But really, you don't know if, if maybe, you know, he was driven crazy in the war. I mean, a lot of people don't really realize that a lot of veterans, especially then, you know, they come back with murderous souls. They're, they're killers. They come back as killers. So 
you don't know, you know, if he's killed anybody in the war. He, he certainly shoots that that robber who's, you know, going after the 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 quick mart attendant with ease. You know, it doesn't seem like he's any stranger to death. Uh, what struck me this time, uh, maybe it's just the fact that you know that we're living in this this age where the whole gun control thing is prominent, but his character completely changes once he buys those guns. Mm-hmm. I mean, he really gets the self, uh, this the sense of uh, self entitlement, and he just builds himself up to be tougher and tougher than he is, almost to the point where he's talking about getting healthy, right, and not taking these pills and. And you see these workouts he's doing, and, and some of them are impressive, but other times he's just, like, staring at his muscles. You know, he's just sitting there kind of flexing his arm, and, and you kind of wonder, like, the unreliable narrator, you know, how in shape he's getting. I mean, a couple scenes later, he's drinking beer and downing pills again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the guy's off his rocker. I mean, I, I could go on forever and ever. There. I, I was reading a little bit before the show about how some people think like the final scene is a, a dream sequence or whatever, which I, I think that's, to me, I, that doesn't resonate as true. But again, it does make you wonder how true the ending is. <laughs> like, it, It's almost like his own self-delusion of where he is in society, like everything would be okay once he righted all these wrongs. You know, he's got his friends now. He's not disconnected. He gets to sort of wink at the girl he loves, and or the girl he's tracking and leave her in his nuts. And it's almost like this oddly perfect ending. And so, of course, you know, he, he catches something in the rear view and, and the credits roll. Um, but do you really wonder... Uh, uh, yeah, you just wonder about the character. He's not a hero. But you really just wonder. I mean... There's no center to the guy. I mean, he is a true psychopath. I mean, there's really there's no center to him. He's he's all over the place. Well, what he is disgusts him, you know. Well, when you get introduced to him right away, you get the feeling that he's off because he approaches that taxi uh, driver boss, and you can tell he deliberately needles him, and he smiles at the fact that he he's he upsets the guy a little. Yeah, you, you, you know, almost like uh, that kid who who pokes the uh, snake or whatever, and the snake gets upset, and he kind of smiles at the fact that he's poking at the snake or the animal. You know, uh, Travis uh, Bickle here, uh, Glenn. For him, uh, what did you think of this character? He is not a hero, uh, and uh, you know, what what is your impression with him? <laughs> well, I mean, knowing knowing. Uh, the history of the character, the fact that he is, he is a Vietnam vet. And yeah, it's, it's, I don't know if I'd say he's a psychopath, um, but I don't know, maybe he is, but I mean, he's, he's definitely off. And a lot of that I think is just from, it's that isolation so many veterans felt after the war. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, they have that killer mentality, but it's also the fact that you go from, you know, being in, in, in wartime where you've always got those guys who got your back. And you're, you're part of something more than just you. There's always – you're never alone. You're always in a group of people. And to come back and you lose all that. Um, and I think a big part of it is the fact that part of part of what drives him crazier is he's, he's sad because of his loneliness. Mm-hmm. But a lot of his loneliness he causes himself. Mm-hmm. 
So it's this kind of uh, like you know self-perpetuating cycle of the fact that he withdraws himself intentionally, which then makes him lonely, which makes him sad, which then causes him to withdraw even more. Um, he's a very very interesting character, and it's, it's a very interesting study on. I was believe I was reading. They said it's. The, the the writer uh, originally said he thought he was just doing a story about loneliness, and it's more about, he said, the pathology of loneliness, mm-hmm. as well as being apparently semi-autobiographical of uh, the author as well, or this the screenwriter, I should say. So it's just it's a very interesting character in, in that whole, uh, as, as I said, the pathology of loneliness. Yeah, I, I like that, that the pathology of loneliness, because you can see that he... He kind of contributes to his own self-destruction in a lot of ways. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, you know, it you make you wonder a little bit still if it it's deliberate or not. Um, you know, because he's got a. It's almost as if he doesn't realize he some of these social norms aren't actual that he thinks are social norms aren't. You know, uh, Cole brought up specifically bringing your first date to a porn. I mean, yeah. What was the but, but to be fucking, fair. I think that was their second time going out. That's true. Okay, yes. First so, time they went for pie and coffee. You know, I don't get what the fucking big deal is. That was, that was a classy flick. There were subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> there were subtitles in that. It was instructional. <laughs> and Scott, Mr. Travis Bickle, do you think it was more loneliness? Do you think that he pictured himself a hero, or is he a psychopath in in true form? It's it, like, uh, as you know, Cole and Glenn both were so profound on this um, that I mean, I'm honestly going to be like uh, just saying leftovers, I think, because they were just so dead on. Uh, it's a little too simplistic to say if it's one or the other. Mm-hmm. This is one of the most complex people uh, of the on screen. I'm gonna just preface this by saying, you know, everybody asks people like, what, you know, if you're a movie fan of films, if you're a film geek or whatever, people are gonna ask you what your favorite movie is. And you know, there's we see so many movies, we see thousands of movies. How how do you pick them? But my stock answer is Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen this film well over a hundred times. Wow. Uh, and there was a very, uh, there was a part of my life in which this was seen at least once a week because it was, we do, he is not a hero at all. No. Some people do, Cole is correct in saying that some people do see him as a hero, which is a mistake. No one should be trying to emulate this character. <laughs> Uh, well, I think you have to say that because I think there are people who are. I think we yeah. are, and I think yeah. we see them in the news every day. Yeah. Uh, and, but this is absolutely about loneliness. It's about loneliness, about self-isolation. Uh, Glenn's absolutely correct when uh, he brings up the pathology of loneliness that Paul Schrader touched upon. Uh, by Because, I mean, at one point the guy says, um, I do not think that it is right for someone to uh, be obsessed with morbid self-interest. I think a person should become. I, I think someone should become a person like other people. Well, he may say that. He may even write that in his journal, but he sure as shit doesn't act like it. Uh, because everything he does, he's he is torn. He's caught in this instant and endless cycle of misery and self-doubt and loneliness and misery and depression 
and he um, he's racist. He looks at he he wants to be part of the world, and yet he looks at the world. Or he purposely goes into the absolute seediest parts of the world, and therefore sees the looks at the world with disgust. Uh, he keeps trying to uh, capture some sort of purity and purpose in the world, and he can't do it. Um, and even when he thinks he does it, it's it's a nightmare. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's uh, no, he's not. A, I don't know if. He is a psychopath. Is a kind of a very specific type of mental illness. Yeah, I may have misspoke with that. I, you know, I no, I, no, I no. Misspoke. I mean, because no, as Mark was asking about it too, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of people call him a psychopath. I think that's a very specific form of mental illness. He is definitely mentally ill. Uh, I think part of it comes from his upbringing, which we never really get hear about totally, but we can kind of get hints about. Uh, He's uh, delusional. I think he was touched by the war. Uh, he's not educated, and he feels very self-conscious about that. And I think all of that, combined with this anger, this mistrust, and this just constant cycle where he wants to – he keeps telling himself that he's trying to better himself, but he always self-sabotages himself. You know, I think it all kind of just leads to this endless pool. And it doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. The ending – of this film, uh, you think, oh, okay, well, and there's some people who think that it's a in his head, and there's some people who say it's not. Even people on the crew <laughs> don't. It's not very clear. But I mean, it's it's what he's fine, and he seems, yeah, I'm okay now. I'm okay now until when? He till he gets the reflection of himself in the mirror, and he has to turn away because he can't bear to be staring at his own self because he still sees that sickness inside of him. It's a little too simplistic. He's just such this, uh, oof, uh, God's lonely man, as he quotes <laughs> in, the, in, the, in the movie. And there was a very good time, there was a time when I was, uh, I did see a lot of my, well, I still, I will always see a lot of myself in this character. Mm. I'm not a racist. I'm not violent. For the record, <laughs> are you are you going are you or is the FBI going to be listening to the podcast and someone put you on the watch list? No, I'm just saying that because <laughs> if you people who say that, like you know, yeah, he's got guys got plus like that. But I think that that sense of loneliness and isolation and being socially awkward, feeling that feeling that you are apart from the world, you know, and feeling that 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 thing history keeps repeating itself. I was I saw this movie for the even though I'd seen it over a hundred times this is my first time watching it in about five years because I was ho- because I kind of thought okay I'm a little different person right now hmm. uh, from the person I used to be where in which I would actually go into the seediest parts of the neighborhood I would just walk the streets endlessly at night almost with some sort of death wish almost inviting you know any mm-hmm. kind of you know confrontation at one point. And now I'm like, don't don't think of myself as like that. But I five minutes with this movie, and I was like, oh hi, yeah, <laughs> I've seen, I, I yeah I remember you. Hi, yo 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 yep nope make yourself at home. You know where everything is. Um, <laughs> well, we, well, like, you know it was like that thing all over again because I uh, I think and I think that's what makes the film so special is that he's mentally touched. He's saying, but to a certain degree, I think a lot of people can see uh, parts of Travis Bickle in them. Well, I mean, he is a deep, this is a really complex character for cinema. I mean, oh, yeah. he's got so many layers and different. He's a walking contradiction, for one thing. I mean, 
you know, like you, all three of you have already put it well. Uh, you know, he talks about the sleaze of the city, yet he goes to a porn theater where most people consider that a sleazy, <laughs> you know, especially back then. I mean, the screen barely is all burned out, and I mean... Well, that was an optical. They had to do it because yeah, they were actually they were actually showing the movie while he was walking to the theater. Yeah. And so so he says, yeah, it's the one optical in the movie. Scorsese said we had to send that to the lab and say, could you blur that out? And it's this <laughs> penetration shot. <laughs> but I think it actually they were not happy about that. Apparently, <laughs> I think it adds to it though. It, it it adds to the grime of the city. I mean. Let's face it. This this shows this this movie's a sleazy movie. Oh I yeah. Mean, I mean, it, it's it takes place in the not pleasant parts of New York. You know, a lot of people think of New yep. York glam and glitz, but it, you know, it's Martin Scorsese who has a love for New York. Uh, you know, he's he's if you look in a lot of his films. You know, he he, and he's come forward as much as saying how much he loved. But here, he it almost felt like he was giving the true identity of the city. Going, no, no, this isn't Frank Sinatra singing down, you know, Times Square. This is Travis Bickle drinking a a, a flask of whiskey in the dirtiest part of town where the taxi cab, uh, yeah. uh, you know, garage is. And, it, and, it, and it's probably the best, you know, for people who love to see snippets of like what the old 42nd Street and everything looked like, uh, this is probably about the best you're going to get in a in yeah. a movie is a, is a look at that. And this is like kind of like my New York, the one that I remember from when I was a really little kid mm-hmm. and stuff. The one that's not there anymore, incidentally. So. Yeah. But but he's not the only Thanks, Giuliani. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean people I mean yes, lives were saved, but come on, atmosphere. <laughs> so yeah, Travis Bickle, he just he surprises you at every turn. Uh where he he's narrating and we get this noir feel for this film of uh him doing the voiceover and talking about the filth and the scum. You know, it it feels like for me, it feels like he, he didn't have a lot of education. He went into the army, and he—I bet you—he was probably a great soldier. I mean, he got honorably discharged. Uh, but I have a feeling he was a very—you know—followed the rules and everything type of soldier because that was the type of structure he had, and, and I think that fit best for him. But here he gets out into the real world, and you know, they're covering the subject. I mean, they don't mention it in here. But it's obviously there's also some uh, PTSD uh, going on with with his character. I think, uh, wouldn't you say, Glenn? Uh, something that's a you know popular topic today and and very uh, much in the news. Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean, that's I think that's where a lot of this comes from. Is he's is from his post traumatic stress disorder. Is mm-hmm. there's there's obviously something behind his mental illness and that's probably the most likely source mm-hmm. um, I don't I I don't know there's something about the character that just makes me think that he was he was always socially awkward that's just always kind of been there but the whole kind of break from reality I think that's a result of his PTSD yeah and, and that's that's the impression I got with it too uh, now that we you know 
it, they know more about it and the, the symptoms and that. And you look at his character, you're like, wow, yeah, he's really suffering, at least part from that part. He may have already had some issues um, before going into the military, but uh, they were compounded once he left the military. So he's just a complex character that you could sit and do, and I'm sure people have papers on just him uh, of the different things that he goes through. But the characters around him too, we don't we don't really get a lot of stereo. It didn't never felt like a bunch of stereotypical characters around him. I mean, you've got Peter Boyle. Who who plays? Who's only in a few scenes, but he plays the wizard. They call him the wizard, and uh, you know you get his character and the other cabbies who who call Bickle killer. Yeah. No, they they call him killer because they you know. And I thought that was a bit creepy. But what do you think of the the other taxi cab drivers, Glenn, around him? Uh, you know, do you think they they were accepting of Bickle? Do they think they were a little standoffish of the guy, or? I think they were probably about about as accepting as the type of guys that they are can be. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it's their work buddies. They're not gonna. They don't, probably don't hang out much outside of work. They probably think he's a little uh, odd, but they're also you know used to that kind of stuff because they're cab drivers in New York. <laughs> it's true. In uh, Peter Boyle's character, the wizard, they act, you know he acts like he he gives some advice. You get that one scene where he's giving Bickle advice, and then he's like, "Yeah, but what do I know? I'm a taxi driver." Yeah. <laughs> For 17 years, which is impressive. Uh, you know, and then you get his uh, love interest, which I don't know if there's maybe a bit of a metaphor in here, Scott, about. Uh, some kind of male, say, sexual whatever. But, I mean, it, our Bickle goes from obsession to obsession. First it's the, uh, you know, he, he's just obsessed about work, but then he runs across a Sybil Shepherd's character, and suddenly he's obsessed about her and wants to get, you know, get together with her. I mean, he, he moves from obsession to obsession, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, it's a, and it's, an, it's this... Um... It's as cheesy as it sounds today. It's this uh, search for purity, mm-hmm. and he sees—I mean, this uptown woman who is just looks, you know, very glamorous and very sweet and everything like that. And he, you know, he he tries to dress himself up nicely to meet her and everything like that. And uh, he, you know, he, you know, introduces himself to her, and it's this idea to, you know. Treated thing. Now, whether he was ignorant of it or not, he of course sabotages this when he takes him to takes her to a, a double feature of sometimes Sweet Susan and Swedish Marriage Manual. <laughs> but uh, you know, and of course she blows him off, and eventually she's he's like, well, she's just like the rest. And what, what does he replace it with? Well, at first he replaces it with with a kind of a means to kill. Uh, Paul Schrader said it was kill, he was uh, thinking of killing her father figure, being the senator. Mm-hmm. And then eventually he replaces that with trying to save this 12-year-old prostitute. And all of these things are connected in that it's his, it's his uh, attempt to make a statement and stake a claim on some sort of purity in the universe, whether that's real or imagined, you know? I mean, he was ne- she was never this ideal that he made her out to be. Uh, so the Civil Shepherd character, Betsy, mm-hmm. uh, never was. But 
he made her out to be that. I mean, it's like, you know, it's the, the way where he, narr- he narrates and talks about, I ordered the apple pie, the cheese, and everything like that, and she had this coffee and then a donut or whatever, but she could have had anything she wanted, you know? He, he's, he's, I mean, he's really, he really tries to push things too far because he's expects, I don't know what he expects more or whatever. He's just this very well, see, obsessed person. Well, and like I said, I, I, I got a little bit of the feeling of whatever, either urge or something, something he was looking to be fulfilled. And I, I mentioned sexual earlier, but maybe not so much that, but he's looking to fill something, uh, some hole in his life because, uh, you know, first he thinks it's work, and then work's not really doing it. He's, he's not really liking that. Then he comes across... Uh, Betsy, and he thinks she's the one that he wants, you know, but then she turns him down. So then he is looking at getting violent, and he thinks being fulfilled by serving a purpose of shooting the presidential candidate named uh, Palpatine. Palatine. Uh, Palatine, which you're thinking I, of Star Wars. I'm thinking, <laughs> no, well, I kept thinking of Palpatine, and I'm like, Palatine, Palpatine, come on. Good, uh, Travis, let the hate flow through you. <laughs> But then he, you know, that falls through. So then, I don't know, Cole, is he really going to rescue her or is he going to fulfill his urge in some way, shape to, to extract, to, to dole some violence out on somebody more so than go rescue her? Yeah, I don't think it, it has to do with the rescue. Having just finished it again, I think it was, it was interesting actually listening to, listening to some of the, uh, the the senator's speech this time around and it sounds like he was on the right track i mean i would vote for the guy i mean <laughs> yeah. seriously, if you feel listen the burn. to that thing feel the burn talking, i'm sorry no go ahead oh i'm sorry he's talking power back to the people i mean that's his whole speech is we've got to give the power back to the people unless i misheard something no that and that it, was that was his whole thing because they're even they're even uh they're uh Slogan is "We are the people." Uh, we the people. No, yeah, yeah, we are the we, people. It, it, okay, we are the people. Yeah. No, no, no. We, we are the people. We are the people. <laughs> I love Albert Brooks. Has got a great comedic character in there. He he's probably one of the lighter points in there. And there's that great conversation he has at the beginning, folks, where he's talking about buttons and being underlined and how they weren't going to pay for him because they underlined we instead of are in their phrase, we are the people. So he's like, we are the people is different than we are the people. <laughs> <laughs> That's not fight. But, but no, you're, you're, you're right. Uh, no, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any ideal behind what he's doing i mean i yeah he's obviously you say it's an urge i guess i i wonder how virginal the character is i mean if he went to war as a boy you know it's possible he's entirely sexually confused you know i I mean there's certainly that possibility also um yeah you're right he's definitely looking to fulfill something scott he scott refers to a a tent pole of of purity which i also see i mean he's Mm -hmm. you know he mentions this immediate connection he had with uh, Sybil Shepherd's character, and he says, "You know, tell me now if I'm crazy or something, something to that effect." And she says, "Well, I wouldn't be sitting across from you if you were wrong." So, I mean, she sees it at first too, but again, he's just too out there, man. Especially with the sexual stuff, he seems to have some deep, 
you know, deeply repressed issues there that are, are, are coming to play. And, and other issues, too, with the guns. I mean, he's got, he's got many, many issues. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's no motive behind what he's doing. Like you guys have said, better than me. I mean, he's, he's going to end up going on some sort of rampage at, at some point because there's nowhere else for his brain to go. Yeah. I mean, he's not at peace with himself at all. No, and, and he can't find peace. I mean, Glenn, do you think if Betsy had accepted going out on that date and and stuck with him, do you think she would have been good enough for him, or do you think he would have eventually needed something else more to fulfill him, or you know that what you're talking about, the loneliness? Um, I think if she would have if she would have actually gone out with him again and stayed with him, he would have started to see, you know, the fact that, God, she's really fucked up. Because, you know, I'm really fucked up and she's still with me. So she's part of the problem. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think it would have... It was doomed no matter what happened. Sure. And I think that's it's doomed because, as I said before, his, his self-imposed isolation in a lot of ways... He wants to not be that way, but I think he, in a way, needs to be that way. Or he's comfortable that way, actually. I don't. I think if he started getting something normal, I don't, you, you know, quote unquote normal. I think he would feel un. He feels uncomfortable with that. He feels more comfortable in his loneliness than not, uh, which is weird. Even though it's something he doesn't want. Yet he's actually happier there. Well, it's 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 a pain you know, as opposed to, as opposed to the fear of of other pain that you don't know. You know, this is this is the it's a pain he's comfortable with. He knows how to, he knows how to exist with that pain. And, uh, Scott uh, Cole brought up a good point. Do you think maybe our Bickle was virginal? Not only that, but possibly came from a rather conservative family i know he came, probably came from a conservative family he probably mm-hmm. came from a small town and honestly that would be the best place for him right now as much as i'm a fan of cities he this guy needs to be in a like a nice small town where he's not looking at this degradation around him and he can just like get like a job at the corner store or whatever but um you know and just and just live a life and actually maybe even meet a girl from the town or something but uh the I, you know, that was actually one of the you, we, we were going to bring questions and stuff. That was actually one of my questions I was going to ask people was like, what you think is sexual thing is being at Vietnam and knowing what you hear about the soldiers who went there. A lot of them, I'm sure he probably eventually hooked up with some you know prostitute in Vietnam or something. I can see that character doing that, and I can see that character not knowing what the hell to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think that he's still very awkward and stuff. He when he came back, he might be impotent for all we know because he hangs out in the theaters a lot. You never see him like you know tossing one off or anything <laughs> like that. Well, not that we want to, but you never see it. Either. But you never really see it either. And he never seems to have a sexual motivation with uh, the Betsy character. It kind of seems much more like traditional, like you know. When we're in the Surrey with the fringe on top type of relationship, you know, <laughs> uh, but uh, he, uh, you know, so and you know, I think that the, uh, but I think a lot of you know, sexual frustration actually helps is kind of uh, 
it's rarely spoken about. I think it's an undercurrent in there. And what do you see? Like, what happens at the end? He has this bloodbath, this massacre and stuff where he huh. makes his claim. And he's... And then he's finally fined afterwards. Why? Because he came! Because <laughs> he came! Like, like, you know, if you're, like, you know, if you're, like, on edge, you know, if you're on edge for long enough, you know, whether, you know, once you get your rocks off, whether it's with a partner or with somebody or with you, any yourself or anybody else, once you do, you're like, okay, now I can get some work done, <laughs> you know? And you're fine for a little while until shit starts to, ha- like, really start to freak you out again. And I think that's, uh, I think that there is kind of that kind of symbolism there. I think he's very uh, socially awkward. I think he's very sexually inexperienced. I think he's, um, if he had any sexual experience beforehand, I think it was probably a disaster. And honestly, I think he might be post-war a little impotent, honestly. Sure. That, well, that that's where I was leading with that, is that you, you almost feel like that, you know, there, it might be there. Again, it doesn't come up, but there there's some undertones there that you can't, you can't really miss, especially that uh, bloodbath at the end. Uh, yeah, speaking of, of questions with this... Uh, Cole, did you happen to bring a question that you might want to address uh, that we, or you'd like to talk about something in particular? We actually talked about him. I mean, I, I was uh-huh. gonna, I was gonna ask, I would talk about, you know, the the history of of war with the character, and I was also gonna, you know, ask whether or not you guys thought that when he bought all the guns, it, it escalated his deterioration, you know, the, the deterioration that was already happening. Well, um, we, we, we can go back to that because that is, a, that's actually, even though it doesn't seem like a, a big point, it seems like he, he does change after he buys those guns or while he's buying those guns. Yeah. Uh, definitely. Uh, so yeah, I, I think personally, I think that does change him more than anything. Cause He's getting something back to something that's comfortable for him. I mean, this whole time we've all talked about it and touched on it, how he's he's not really comfortable in this city. He's not comfortable in his place right now. Uh, he's he's looking for something. And so now he <laughs> he finds a sales guy who's who is a classic sales guy. Uh, oh, look at that. I mean, the character selling the guns is hilarious. Your Cadillac. <laughs> that guy improved most of his lines. He was just like a fan of Scorsese's. Yeah, I, I, or like a friend of Scorsese's, rather, or something. He, yeah, he I, read, I read that. I read that they just kind of gave him the suitcase full of stuff, and he's just starting to, uh, ah, yeah, 40, 44 Magnum. You you could crack a block of a, a engine block with that thing. They they hunt elephants in Africa with that. <laughs> it was a great part. It was, it, it, and it's completely believable. It really was believable that this is the guy who's going to hook you up with with. Uh, Illegal, like stolen cars, a guns, yeah. a meth, whatever, you know. <laughs> and what's he look like? Used fucking car sales. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But but his character, you're right, Cole. I I think his his character does uh, change, and I think it's because he's finding something that he's comfortable with that he knows from when he was in the war, which is a gun. He he doesn't start out with a gun, uh, but eventually he feels the need to get a not just one gun, he gets like all varieties of guns. Uh, you know, and I think that, that 
uh, puts him back in a little bit of a comfort level, wouldn't you say, Glenn? When when he starts getting those guns, he his character seems a bit more confident. Oh yeah, I mean, there's you know, I mean, when you can't get it up, you know, nothing's better than a good old gun in your hand. <laughs> There you go. Especially a big gun, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's. I mean, it's. It's obviously a huge ego boost for him, because mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's. It's. It's power. It's. You know, he's not used to having power. Um. Which is probably something he misses from the war, because he had that power over, basically over life and death. When you're a soldier, mm-hmm. you have that that kind of power, and he doesn't have that now. But right. he gets these guns, and all of a sudden now he's a big fucking man again, you know. And or he's just a man, period, again. You know, it's it's like a restoration of his manliness after being rejected. Yeah, because definitely Betsy's rejection of him uh, just kind of sends him sends him off and uh, and wanting to do bad things, <laughs> as he puts it. Uh, now we halfway through this film, uh, pretty much halfway through, we finally get an, introduced to uh, the Iris character, Jodie Foster's character, who she was only uh, what fifteen, twelve, uh, or tw- well, well, her, her character, character was, 12. was twelve. She was twelve. Was she twelve? Really? I think she was four. I think. No, she I, was twelve. I'm gonna look it up, but I I thought she was like fourteen when she did what she was playing. Oh, when 12. they were shooting, when they were shooting the film, she might have been. Uh, but I mean, okay. still, she she's very young in here. Yeah. And if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong I'll say I'll say <laughs> so. So. <laughs> Man, let me tell you, this whole film, from watching it from start to finish, you just feel uncomfortable. <laughs> she was okay. She was. She would have been when they actually were shooting it. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they were actually shooting it, she would have been 13. So compromise oh, between the two. Yeah. <laughs> close. But. I, you just feel uncomfortable, and then you get her character, and then, uh, you know, you, you're just like, oh my god, what role is she in? Uh, but <laughs> there's the one scene in there where they're at the cafe, and she's sitting with uh, him, and he's asking her why she's doing this. Uh, and I was starting to get a little bit, just a little bit of, of the professional vibe going on. I wanted these two to pick up a gun and go... Go on a killing spree, uh, Scott. <laughs> Scott, what about you? I, it's an interesting relationship that Travis. I mean, is he trying to instead? You know, he couldn't be a boyfriend to Betsy, so is now he trying to be a parent to Iris? Oh, sure. And you know, let's just say also the same year that Jodie Foster did this, she played kind of the uh, a very suggestive character in the G-rated Bugsy Malone. So. She played way too many whores for a 13-year-old that year. All <laughs> um, <laughs> love to Jodie Foster. I think she's one of the greatest actresses ever. One of the greatest yes. actors, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, the uh, but no, uh, absolutely. Um, and it goes back to the whole purity thing. And yeah, I mean, if she looks, she even tries to get him into like this corner where she's basically thro- he doesn't. They don't have to do anything when they're in that apartment together. He's paying already, right? Yeah. When she, he when when he yeah. sets up to meet her for the first time, they don't, you know. And she's still like throwing herself at him because it's become more comfortable for her than to actually hear what are you doing with your life. 
And I think it says a lot that the only scene we ever have of any of that does not include Travis Bickle is afterwards when we see that she is having she does not like what she's doing. She is kind of really, you know, she hasn't been completely lost to the streets. And she and she is being influenced by this sleazeball pimp of hers. Uh, yeah, he's absolutely trying to be a father figure, but he's so fucked up. He could <laughs> never be a father figure. What he is is he winds up to be this person who tries to save her, whether she 100% wants to be saved or not. And probably if she did want to be saved, she didn't want it like that. She's horrified. She's going to be in therapy for the rest of her goddamn life. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, come on. I mean, if you say, I mean, if you have you know somebody in, pour his heart out to you and then offer to take you for you know, breakfast, and then and then the next time you see him, he's got a buzz cut, and he's blowing everybody away around you. I mean, that's some scarring stuff compared to what she did on the streets. So, it, he can't, he's not equipped to be that person, but it is how he generally makes his statement and everything. And he, and even if it is, I'm sure at much cost, I'm sure she's going to have a real messed up life. <laughs> I mean, you can't be untouched by the by these events no. before or after Travis Bickle entered her life. And but if he would have, if he did any good in the movie, it was that, you know. Right. Uh, although I'm not positive that's 100. percent That I mean, let's face it, his his motives weren't entirely unselfish. Well, no, it, it's the the gratification of violence is what he yes. really went for. Uh, with, let's face it, Glenn, this is the mafia running this pimp ring because Harvey Keitel's character, who's the pimp for Iris, has to answer to someone as well, too, right? We got mafia involved, don't we? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, those guys were, like, stereotypical... <laughs> The guy, guy at the hotel room, and then the guy getting the money from, uh, what's his name? Uh, Harry oh, Kipp I thought Kipp I Kipp thought he was just a seedy pimp. I think the mafia would be a lot. I think their girls would be a lot like more. Well, I you don't. Know, I felt like it was class. almost like it almost like a side business. But I mean, the, you know, the fact that he had someone he had to pay, uh, I thought was a little bit of an interesting moment. I mean, it's only a short scene, but it. it puts a little bit in perspective the business that's being run on the streets there. Oh, uh, sure. I mean, exploitation, <coughs> it, this is exploitation everywhere. Right. Every single character in this movie is exploited in one way or another. Mm -hmm. it, I mean, the Betsy character is even exploited as far as, <laughs> in some ways, uh, with the uh, candidate that she's supporting. So, And she's dark, too. She's a, there's nothing but really dark characters except maybe Albert Brooks's character. Uh, in this film, wouldn't you say, uh, Cole, that there's probably uh, pretty much uh, each character is pretty much dark, except maybe uh, uh, that character, Albert Brooks's character, the guy who uh, uh, wants to be with Betsy? Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Uh, he he was a, a moment of levity. I mean, I don't know the senator that well either. You know, right. he, uh, again, you know, you can't. I guess you, you shouldn't really trust what a politician says, at, at least not right up, right up front or right away. But um, again, I, his speech struck me as okay. Don't shoot him, 
You know, I mean, Christ. <laughs> uh, I keep going back to that because it, it totally robbed Robert De Niro's character of all heroism. I mean, he's uh, he's psychopathic. The guy is. I just didn't realize that when I watched it when I was younger. Just mm-hmm. com- how completely unhinged he is. It's like uh, the the death of 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 all of those pimps is a MacGuffin. It's a total mind fuck. You know. Um, but anyways, yeah, the movie is just filled with um, uh, shady, shady characters and shady people, and I love how Harvey Keitel has somebody to answer to. I love that. I love that little moment. I think it's totally significant because, as you said, everybody's being exploited, but it also gives you, a, like, a, if you're willing to think about it, it gives you a brief moment of insight into how under control the city really is, mm-hmm. how under control the element of this sleaze is. I mean, try running from it. Try running from it if you're Jodie Foster. Try running from it if you're Harvey Keitel. You know, they're going to find him and, and, you know, whatever. Do do their worst to him. So I thought it, that was a horrifying moment. I left that post uh, online on our, our private page that said this movie is horrifying. I, 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 I was just probably, you know, 15 minutes past that scene, but <laughs> it really started to get to me. You know, it really started to uh, and again, that might be a little trick to get you on De Niro's side, too. It's like, fuck it all, you know? <laughs> it's an amazing film. Yeah, filled with shady characters. And I love Albert Brooks. It, yeah, well, it, it's, I mean, that's part really, with, it's Scorsese's direction of this film because he doesn't, he doesn't really let you up at all. I mean, there's no real light moment. There's a, you're, you're following this crazy person <laughs> Bickle, and you're getting the intricacies of his life. I mean, some films, you know, you, you see the crazy guy, but then you'll cut away. We never really leave Bickle's side, do we, Scott? Not except for that one scene, no. Not except right. for that one little, like, about a two-minute scene uh, between Sport and Iris. We don't. No, we stay with him, and that's what makes the movie so painful, <laughs> you know? It's like, it's just brutal. It's just brutal as hell. And, uh, you know, everybody has their something in this movie, though. I mean, we we follow this person, we get to know this person, and we get to see the way he looks at the world. But, oh, man, I want to say that there, there, there's this old friend, this friend of mine. I'm going to say his whole name because, unfortunately, he's no longer with us. Hmm. Uh, Todd Sarn, a good friend of mine. He's no, he's no longer with us, but he had he did had this one thing where he was studying this movie at one point for a class. And uh, I don't know if this was from uh, something that he read or something that he came up with, but he mentioned the use of altars in the film. I'm like, what are you talking about, man? Altars. He says, well, look at this. I mean, he's, he's, you'll see it like in the, if he's if uh, when Bickle is in the um, is in the uh, taxi in, in in the diner with the other taxi people, and he like has the Alka Seltzer. He escapes by looking into the Alka-Seltzer and like shuts out like the rest of the city that's that that isolation that's his altar then he goes to meet Betsy and he like kind of waves his hand across the her desk and they focus on the desk and he's like he's dismissing how phony her altar is and then you know they have other things like the flowers that that are briefly in his apartment that's an, a false altar and what's the ultimate altar at the end the blood soaked uh, seedy apartment 
room mm-hmm. that yes, we just yes. slowly pan across and down. So that is his altar. Yeah. That is his altar. And I mean, we stay with this character so long, and until we get to see that one defining moment, and then find out towards the end where we think, wow, this is odd. This is an oddly optimistic ending for this person who. Uh, should be considered like this. Like he should be in prison. <laughs> he should be in prison. <laughs> but he's considered a hero, which he really isn't that far from the from what would happen. I mean, if you remember what happened uh, a few years, like about maybe five or ten years after this, Bertie Getz. Uh, it was a similar thing in New York City. You know, he he was turned into a hero by a lot of people. Um, you know, all and and you know. All these things, but then you think, wow, that's an oddly optimistic ending with him, you know, actually having the little goodbye to Betsy, you know, haha, I'm over you. And then, oh no, look what this, this is this bit of uncertainty. It's all going to happen again because yeah. it's this cycle. And we are trapped with him during this cycle. It's, mm-hmm. oh, and it's really more, it's, it's so amazing that this is like a, a under two hour movie. It's so tight because. This script is just like the tightest thing ever because this is like one of the most introspective movies you're likely to come across, you know? And uh, we're stuck with this guy for the whole time, and it is misery. <laughs> it, it is. And I mean, and that's, that's uncomfortable because as you get to know him, you're getting familiar with him, and just, and that's part of Scorsese's directing with this film, is he, he leads you to just as you start feeling hey i'm i'm kind of digging this guy he does something that you're just like oh god no i mean you know you hear him talking about to betsy and whatnot i was i mentioned it uncomfortable i mean you just feel uncomfortable for this guy because he's <laughs> so awkward in almost every situation he's in that you're just like, oh, I, I just, oh man, dude, it's like, don't no, don't take her to the to the adult movie. What, what's wrong with you, man? <laughs> you know, don't sit there, don't don't go in the, the the campaign office and start throwing a fit. You know, this is New York. <laughs> um, he sabotages himself constantly. He, he does, and it's just, oh, he really makes you feel uncomfortable, though. Uh, it, it throughout, and you're supposed to, you know, you, you're not really supposed to be, uh, I think, uh, complacent or comfortable as you watch this film. You should be bothered by it, and I think it succeeds in that quite a bit. Uh, Glenn, did you have any uh, point or anything that you wanted to talk about that we haven't maybe already touched on? No, I mean, we've pretty much hit on it. I mean, the only thing is that I do admire the amount of ad-libbing that is done in this film. Mm-hmm. I mean, we talked about uh, the whole thing with the gun dealer, how that was pretty much all ad-libbed. His whole scene in front of the mirror is all ad-libbed. Yeah. I mean, the, the script just said, uh, Bickle stares into the mirror. That's all the that's all the script said. Yeah, wow, whole... really? I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah the... De Niro ad-libbed all that stuff. Holy shit, that's awesome, Glenn. Wow. Yeah. The you talking to me thing was apparently one of those things where he just started t- saying and like just talking to the mirror and said, you talking to me? And Marty's like, Martin Scorsese's like, yeah, if you could just like, and he kind of realized later on like, oh, he's not talking. He's, 
in the zone. It was a very, it was a very uh, Danny isn't here right now, Mrs. Torrance moment. <laughs> <laughs> and like De Niro, you know, he does so many. De Niro does so many parts that are beneath him these days, yeah. and that it's easy to forget that even if you see him do like a like seventeenth Fockers movie. <laughs> that genius doesn't leave you. This guy was no. This guy is a real is the real freaking deal, <laughs> and he created one of the most amazing characters, uh, as uncomfortable as we are in his skin. You know. Yeah, it, it he does, and and De Niro was just coming off of his Godfather Part Two performance. I do believe that was the year before, wasn't it? Uh, before Taxi Driver. Uh, it was it was while they were filming this. Okay, so because it, the studio, the studio did not it was was losing faith in the film, and uh, they thought De Niro might pull out because he was getting paid thirty five grand for this, and when he won the Oscar, of course his his fame went way up, and they were thinking that he would demand more money, but he said. No, I'll I'll do I'll do the job I was told to do because this way the movie gets made because if he wanted more money the studio was going to shut down production. Oh wow! Oh. Wow! So he basically honored his contract, which is what let this movie be made. I'm sure it helped, but this film is is just he, his character is so different in this versus in Godfather Two that uh, I'm sure it may have shocked some audience members as well. Uh, and then there's that musical score in here from uh, Bernard Herrmann, which uh, has that famous story where uh, Bernard was asked to uh, for one more day's work after he made the entire original score, and he they put in a, like a whole day's. He came home and he passed away. Yeah, um, I mean, like the night he finished, it, it, this was his last official score. Though uh, he's been credited later on, this was his yeah, which is weird. But it it it, it the music fits in here, I thought quite a bit and helped added to the feeling of, of Bickle's character and and uh, you know the emotions that he goes through. So uh, yeah, the taxi <laughs> taxi driver is a very complex dark film. This is not light watching. <laughs> Uh, to say the least. Uh, but we're going to wrap it up here, I think, for this film tonight. Uh, we'll go down the line here really quick and just get final thoughts with uh, Taxi Cab, uh, with Taxi Driver. I keep wanting to say Taxi Cab Driver. Taxi Driver, and kind of uh, who you would recommend this film to. Cole, we'll start with you. Your your final thought and feeling with this film and uh, uh, you know who you might recommend it to. <clears throat> Wow, uh, who I would recommend it to? I mean, you know, lots and lots of people. I would think, you know, if you're a fan of the craft of film, this is one of those must must see experiences. You know, it they don't make them like this anymore, and they really don't. I mean, the thing came out before I was born, but they just it, it's it's so influential. I mean, you know, for, I see it in everything. I see it in Fight Club. I see it in True Romance. I mean, I, I see echoes of this film in, in all popular movies, all cult movies. Well, not all, but many, many. You know, I, I see it. it. It sort of defines that that niche where it's like, 
you know, you're you're up late at night uh, with one of your friends and, and who hasn't seen it, and Taxi Driver is on, and you know, you say, "Have you seen Taxi Driver?" or "Taxi Driver's on," and they give you that look, and all of a sudden you realize you've met somebody who fucking hasn't seen Taxi Driver. <laughs> okay, hold on, I'm gonna fill up your wine glass. Is there how much beer do we have? I'm gonna go get some more beer. This thing is on in a half an hour. You gotta see it. I mean, it's one of those type of movies. You know, that said. It's not for anybody, and it's not an easy film. It's a huge revelation to me watching this tonight with the scene with uh, that Scott mentioned with Harvey Keitel and uh, Jodie Foster. Just how uncomfortable that makes me, all that shit. And then I realized, well, that's the kind of movie, those are the kind of movies I make. So it's just that huge, you know, you've got to be true. It's got to be done. Movies like this have to be made, and maybe they're not meant to be enjoyed my final thoughts are on it i i i mean i'm glad that you did the show because i probably wouldn't have watched this for another few years and it, it's mm-hmm. taken me back and it's actually given me some hope it's like yeah you know there was a time when grittier movies were the shit and and those are the kind of movies i aim to make and you get lost you know you get you get hopeless out there trying to make really you know quality work that maybe is imperfect and, and a little gritty and raw and then you know there's a whole generation of people looking to stream for free in HD, and it's it's very disheartening. But you know, watching this took me back to a time when the cinema was was very pure and and honest to itself. <laughs> and uh, Glenn, how about you? Your final thoughts of Taxi Drivers? And uh, there's someone, uh, you know, what type of people would you recommend or not recommend watch this film? I would recommend this to just about anyone. Mm-hmm. Um. And mind you, I first saw this movie only like five years ago. Really? Wow. Yeah, I, I had caught snippets of it here and there, but I just I had never seen the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, like five years ago, five, six years ago, I saw it. I was at a uh, half-price books, I think it was, and they had a copy of it sitting there. And I'm like, I'm going to pick it up because I have never seen it all the way through. So I think it's one of those movies, especially now where – because it's 40 years old, there's a lot of people who haven't seen it because it's not something that's, you know, brought up, you know, in modern modern day talk anymore. People don't talk about Taxi Driver. And partly because what's De Niro doing? He's doing, you know, uh, you know the Fockers meet the Fockers, you know, <laughs> Fokker Falls. So they don't know, you know, the history of, of De Niro. And, and yes, yeah, Scorsese is still doing the same stuff, kind of, you know, like with The Pardon and stuff, but it's you know these are films that people aren't being introduced to, and, and partly just because there's so much media out there now. Yeah. You know, it's it's not just the fact that there's I'm not gonna say there's more movies made. It's just the fact that you have access to so much stuff. I mean, even when I was a kid growing up, and you know, I had the video store down the street. That's that's you know nothing compared to what I have at my fingertips on on the computer. I mean, I could spend the rest of my life just watching cat videos, and I wouldn't, get through, I wouldn't get through them all. So the fact that there's so much stuff out there, this is the type of stuff you need to recommend to lots of people to show them, you know, something dark and gritty. Because as as much in a way you can say this kind of has a happy ending, if you understand the character, you know that it's not. Yeah, he's, he's, he's quote unquote the hero, but he's still the same fucked up guy. Yeah, he, you know? he's, he's just he's just enjoying his afterglow. And that's yeah. the thing; he's he, he's probably actually worse now 
because now he'll buy into this whole, yeah, I'm the hero. Mm-hmm. I cleaned up some of the scum in this city. So there's just so many people I didn't need to see this film. And it's, but, only, a t- it's only a matter of time before he does it again, too. Yeah, and that's yeah. the thing is, you know, it's, you know, it's in, in, you have movies that try to be dark. You know, you've got movies where they try to be, you know, dark and gritty, but it's, they just end up going for, let's just be super violent. And I'd say yeah. this movie doesn't have its violence. I mean, that, that final scene, which I love the fact that the MPA made him make changes, which actually made it more graphic. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, you have, now you have movies where they're, they're trying to be dark and you end up with like The Purge too. Mm-hmm. Where they just think dark means let's just kill lots of people, and uh, it's not really dark. So this is where you have you know it's it's dark because of all the psychological stuff going on with the character. Yeah, and you get that you get that so rarely these days, where it, where it's solely, I mean, so much of this movie it's it's just character story. I mm-hmm. mean, the only action really in it is that final scene. Yeah. I mean, other than that, it's what he, you know, it's, you got the shopkeeper hitting the dead guy. <laughs> That's the most action you get, you know, up until that point. So, yeah, it's just it's definitely a movie for a lot of people need to see because it's it's something you don't see in modern cinema much anymore. And if you do, you've got to go out of your way to do it. You've got to go to a place like by me. You got to go down to the Oriental Theater. You got to go to those those indie houses to see films where you have just such a character driven piece. You don't yeah. get that that much anymore. You get it occasionally, but most of it, it's you know, it's it's we're gonna have lots of glitz and lots of glam, and you know, and throw some big names in. And that's the thing too. When this was made, I mean, none of these people really anybody. I yeah. mean, you know, how many people you know really knew who Harvey Keitel was? Really knew who didn't? I mean, you know, you knew at when the movie came out, but when he was cast, yeah, he you know he what he hadn't done much of anything. Um. Boyle had done a little bit of stuff, but none, there's not like you know that A-lister in this film. No, I mean the I'm... biggest star they have is in, at this time would be Sybil Shepherd. Yeah, which they kind of got just by accident because they their casting was we want someone like Sybil Shepherd, and finally their cast when casting they said why don't you just call her up. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yeah, it's just it's definitely a movie worth checking out for just about mm-hmm. anyone, anyone who claims to love film. Right. And if they don't like this movie, then they're a liar. <laughs> <laughs> liar lying about the fact they love film because sure. I don't know how you can love film and not at least appreciate some degree of this movie. You can be uncomfortable, which I think is part of what some cinema should do. Yeah, man. Not mm-hmm. all, but I mean that's that's one thing with art. In, in some cases, art should make you uncomfortable, because that's how how that's that's how you learn your own limits too. Well, I, you know, I yeah, you, you, without actually going out and you know murdering a pimp, <laughs> <laughs> which we are not advocating here at all on the spoiler room. But no, I, I know exactly what you mean. I, if you don't feel uncomfortable at some point during this movie, put your uh, psychologist on speed dial. Yeah. Well, then, then, yeah. If you don't feel uncomfortable, then you are Travis Bickle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Scott, uh, your final uh, thought on this? I know uh, you've mentioned it, how personal this was, but uh, kind of your oh. final thought and 
Would you agree? I quite <laughs> much recommend this to anyone who says, oh, yeah, I love movies. Well, you know, Cole and Glenn, you know, right fucking on both of you. So, holy shit. Yeah, absolutely. You guys have, throughout the night, and especially in these closing statements, just, like, completely nailed it. Um, and, uh, yeah, absolutely. If, if you claim to love film, yes, absolutely see this movie. I would recommend it to anybody who claims that. It is the great American movie, I, I think. Uh, it, it's brilliantly put together, brilliantly written, brilliantly acted, brilliantly directed. Um, also, if you want to see a, like a, a slice of time, you know, uh, in a pla- place and time of New York City, I mean, the two best movies to watch are Taxi Driver and a film from 1980 that is almost forgotten called Night of the Juggler. Oh, uh, oh it's such a great movie. And uh, the uh, and uh, the um, and you know, also just you know. I would recommend it to anybody who is, you know, not again that you don't want to. No one should want to emulate this character, but I would want to. I would probably recommend it to anybody who has ever had feelings of, you know, loneliness, isolation, uh, awkwardness, uh, depression. Uh, which, Jesus Christ, isn't that just fucking everybody when you get down to it? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, we get to, I mean, we get, I mean, there are people who feel it a little more profoundly than most. I mean, I know I'm actually, you know, got it diagnosed and shit. <laughs> but, you know, you know, but, you know, everybody has it to a certain degree. And I think that anybody who's ever had feelings like that, I absolutely, I would recommend this film. It's, Especially kind of the added thing today, uh, being that we are now, it is while we're doing this, this is the 40th anniversary of Taxi Drivers, 2016. It is currently uh, March. We are in the political primary season. We're seeing, you know, we're seeing, a, I mean, not to get too political, but we're seeing a demagogue out there kind of capture the anger uh, 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 like an angry, the imagination of an angry, ignorant populace. You know, would that have been the type of person that Travis Bickle would have gotten behind back in the day? He might have. You know, I mean, so, it, and then, which is kind of frightening to imagine that the person who captures the, uh, the, uh, uh, attention of all the wrong attributes of this person is kind of in really becoming a major figure these days. And it, it just shows whether he wins or loses how prevalent that is. Mm-hmm. You know? How prevalent it is in the world. Um, it's, it, it's a film that touches on so many things. It's so complex. It's such a psychological and emotional film that... Oh... It's. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know. I, I. I know I ramble when I talk about this movie. I know I do because I don't know where to begin. I don't know if I could ever say enough about it. It's. Uh, it is really one of the greatest films ever made. It, it is, and uh, I read an article somewhere that quoted uh, De Niro saying that Taxi Driver was going to be one of those films where he thinks that 50 years down the road, people will still be talking about it. Well, here it is, 40 years. And we are still talking about it. 
And there's so much in here that you could apply still to today. You, you know, don't think of it. This film is not overhyped, overrated. We are we are not just saying this because this is an older film. This film is, this film is that good. If you appreciate cinema, everybody here, all my guests here tonight, uh, spoiler room crew, have put it very well that if you appreciate cinema at all, you don't necessarily have to enjoy this film, but appreciate just the execution, uh, how this was edited, how this was directed, the story, the acting, everything about this. You look at this film, and you can see its influences uh, over so many crime, drama, gritty, thriller, whatever you want, after it came out, you can see its influences still even today. Uh, you know, people trying to capture that feel, and some are successful, most aren't. Uh, because, yeah, a lot of people, I think, think of Taxi Driver as being a violent film, but that's because the that last scene in the last act is so dramatic, so violent, so powerful that sticks with you at the very end, which, uh, you know, is it, it keeps people talking, and, and that's what's going to stick with you and, and make you think about it hours later. You'll start thinking about the characters. So I would say yes. If you say you love film but haven't quite seen it yet, if you're a young film lover out there looking for something that's dark and truly gritty and don't mind something that's a big character-driven piece, piece Check out Taxi Driver. Uh, as you get the impression from everybody here, it is a classic for a reason, uh, and it is one of those films where I think 10 years from now, people will still be talking about this film and still being able to apply the characters and what they do in this film to uh, events of today. So uh, I appreciate the crew here of sitting and talking on another Big 4-0 special. Hope you've been enjoying these films as we flash back to 1976. Let's go down the row really quick to see where folks can find you uh, crew members at when you're not here. Go ahead, Cole. Oh, I'm on Facebook these days for the time being. Uh, Shadows and Lovers Productions, and uh, we've got a new movie on the horizon called The Last Great Horror Movie coming down the pipe. Very excited about that. True indie horror. Also, you can find some of my tribute posters and uh, digital art on Horror, which is also on Facebook. So, Shadows and Lovers Productions and Horror, and uh, keep a lookout for The Last Great Horror Movie. The trailer is on YouTube. Awesome. And Glenn, go ahead. You can find me on Facebook uh, as well as on Twitter with Guy in a Bunker or find me on YouTube, Guy in a Bunker. Um, and hopefully if I get off my butt and actually get the website, you'll be able to eventually find me at guyinabunker.com. Awesome. Right and on. Fantastic. And uh, Scotty D, go. Uh, you can catch me at moviocrity.com. That's where I try to post everything I'm involved with, podcasts, web series, uh, articles I write, whatever. Um, you can also check out the web series Movieocrity at vimeo.com slash channel slash Movieocrity. And my new kind of very short and sweet uh, web series reaction shots over on YouTube. Oh, those are fun. Oh, thanks, yeah, buddy. Make, make sure you check out all these fine folks 
uh, material. It's all really good stuff, and I am very lucky to not only have these crew members, but other crew members as well that you have heard on this show, which you can hear of our past episodes on SpecialMarkProductions.com, where we have all our past episodes. This is number 80 of the Spoiler Room. Uh, you can also catch my latest reviews of the Final Cut there. There's also the link to the playlist of my stuff that I do exclusively for We Live Film. Where uh, catch it this uh, week. Recently, I just did a review of Plan 9, which was the remake of Plan 9 from Outer Space. Uh, and that review will be live uh, at the time of this recording. It will be live tomorrow. So you can check that out. Also, we are partnered with a site called NerdSlant.com. Check out those guys. Great stuff there. And, of course, on iTunes and Stitcher Radio, you can find the Spoiler Room, where the conversation is fresh, but we do spoil the movies. Say goodnight, everyone. Good night, everyone. Good night.